thought-provoking stories, and insights from around the globe by your favorite athletes. This is the Athlete's Obsession, brought to you by Obsesh. Hey everyone, I'm Dalton Allison. I'm an athlete success coach at Obsesh and the host of the Athlete's Obsession podcast. I'm lucky I get to work at Obsesh because I get to work with inspirational athletes and creators every day. Their inspirational stories inspired me to create an episode of the Athlete's Obsession that's specifically dedicated to some of the inspirational stories I've had the opportunity to share on the podcast. We'll get a start with Connor Toulier, a filmmaker who had an unconventional start to his career. What was that decision like for you, you know, at that age? Yeah, it was, it was wild. I never liked going to school. I always felt like I was wasting my time there. And this is right around the time that I was um, starting to make videos, like just for fun and, you know, with Windows Movie Maker and everything. But yeah, it was right around that time. I was like, man, I'm like really not enjoying going to school. Like it just, you know, it's not designed for everyone. And I had a friend, um, his name's Kelsey, and he would always like ride with me. Um, and I was like, man, like, how do you always have time to like go ride and like show up at the dirt jumps just like anytime? Like you have a car, you have a job. Uh, I think he was maybe 16 or 17 at the time and I was 14 or 15. And I was like, dude, like, how do you always have time to like go do this? And like, you're, you know, kind of living your best life. <laughs> and he's like, oh man, I, I got my GED. And I was like, oh, what's that? Like, tell me more. And so I think most people know what the GED is, but for people who don't know, it's a test that you can take, um, which is basically equivalent to a high school diploma. So if you take this GED test, they say like, okay, that's everything that you should know, you know, before you leave high school. So found out about the GED, did a ton of research on it. I'm like, this sounds, you know, like a promising idea. Um, this is a way for me to bypass, you know, the next pretty much three years of high school and did a ton of research on this. I discovered that in the state of Colorado, you are not allowed to get the GED or take the test until you're 18. And I dug a little deeper and I found this GED underage waiver form through the state of Colorado obviously it requires a parent's signature so I'm like shit like you know I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try and get my mom or dad to sign this like paper that you know essentially is like me trying to leave high school and not finish take a different route so put together my pitch I printed off you know this waiver form and I laid out all the facts for them and they'd always known I you know hated school like I was always late and I don't think I ever passed a single math class in high school. I don't ever I'm think with I you actually... on that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm so it was you. just frustrating, man. And um, so I laid out my pitch, basically presented it to both my parents. And I was like, hey, like, this is my plan. Um, I want to go take my GED test, be done with high school. I'm going to immediately go get like two jobs, do everything I can to like, you know, be self-supportive and support myself. All I need is the signature <laughs> to say that I can take the test, which is step number one. I still got to take the test. So 
few weeks went by, like never got the signature. I was like pitching it every day. I was like, Hey, like, you know, you remember that GED thing that I want to do? They're like, yeah, like not stoked on it. You know, of course, like, you know, why, why would my parents want, want to help me drop out of high school? Cause they're, they're, you know, living, they grew up in a different age where, you know, no one really did anything like this. So a few weeks went by, I went into school one day and I was just kind of like, this is it. I, I need to do something. And I basically went up to all my teachers, like one after one in each class. And I was like, Hey, like, thank you guys for everything. Um, but I'm actually not coming to class tomorrow. Um, I'm going to make a change in my life and I'm going to go try and get my GED and like move on and like pursue other things. And there was a couple of them that were pretty stoked for me. They're like, wow, like, you know, go for it. Like, wish you luck and a couple others that obviously were just like you're stupid that's never gonna work that was the last day of high school for me and I basically went home and I like I told my parents I was like look I'm not I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go to high school like I'm I'm done and got them to sign the form like thank thank god um shout out to my parents for doing that um, because that ultimately, you know, ultimately it worked out. I went in, got this form signed, spent like two days taking this test, passed it. Um, I remember waiting for my test results in the mail and I rode my bike down to the mailbox one day because I was hoping they would be there and found the letter, opened it right there in the, at the mailbox. It said right on the front, like passed. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. So I like actually passed this test, which is like what you're supposed to know after you get out of high school. Um, all the information, you know, that you're supposed to, supposed to accumulate. Um, and I, I didn't think I was gonna pass, to be honest. Like I never really did good in school. So, um, but I guess something inside of me, just I studied a ton for the test and um, passed it. So. I just remember riding my bike back home and I was like, all right, like it's time to, you know, make some, make some moves now and, and really try to get this thing off the ground and uh, started, you know, working at like local pizza joint, delivering pizzas. Uh, I worked at a bicycle warehouse for a while um, and just trying to do everything I could to like make money, support myself. Um, and then also do video and photo projects on the side. Um, so that went on for, I'd say three or four years after I actually passed and got my GED, um, just working odd jobs and, you know, trying to build up my portfolio. Now I've been full-time freelancing, um, for coming up on three years now is, um, after once I established my, my company here in Colorado. So it's been a long journey. The next story is Christian Dearman's pitcher for the Savannah Bananas. While pitching at Tallahassee Community College, Christian suffered a brutal injury that doctors told him he wouldn't bounce back from. Instead of hanging up his cleats, Christian decided to do the opposite. Tell me the story behind that injury. Uh, so that was my freshman year of, at Tallahassee and uh, we were about a quarter way in through the year and I was having a great year. I was our closer. You know, I was striking people out left and right. I was 
we were racking up wins. And I had came into the game in the second inning of the day I had gotten hurt. And I pitched all the way to the ninth. And like, it was a one nothing game. And the very last pitch of the game with two outs, I heard pop, pop out of my arm. And I just lost all air in my chest. And I had immediately fell to the floor. Meanwhile, the, the guy hit the ball and it was a ground ball, it was shortstop, and we had gone and thrown him out. And we, and we had won and I, I'm on the floor. And like, I thought I got shot. I didn't know what was happening. The pain that was coming in through my body, like I couldn't stand nothing. And I was just out of air. And come to find out, I had tore my right latissimus dorsi tendon right here, uh, complete 100% off the bone. And I was only the, uh, don't quote me on it, but they had told me I was only the sixth or seventh person to have had that injury. And the first was Jake Peavy. And I had gone to the doctors, you know, I had to immediately go and get surgery. And they had looked at me and they told me straight to my face. They said, listen, that's probably it for baseball. That's like, you, there's no way you could come back from this. And not only them, but like other people, like uh, some other mentors were telling me like, hey man, we're really sorry, but like, that's probably it. And doctors even had told me that I'd be lucky to have 30% strength in my arm after the surgery. Well, me, I, uh, I kind of said, yeah, right. <laughs> you guys don't know me at all. So I worked my butt off with the rehab and I had to sleep in a recliner through my whole rehab process because the pain was so great. I couldn't lay flat in my bed I had, and I couldn't do anything because my arm was like strapped like from here and here. And like, I was walking around just like this all around Tallahassee and my parents had to actually come and take care of me for a couple months. It, it was really, it was really tough. It was really, it was a test of willpower. But at the end of the day, I, after a year, a year on the dot, I came back onto that diamond and I was throwing, I was closing games again for Tallahassee. Another inspirational story is that of Abu Dharami Soiree. After moving to the United States at an early age, Abu didn't believe at first that he could be successful playing football at the next level. When he built the confidence to make a highlight tape, however, his career took off. Oh man, the recruiting process was really difficult for me. As a kid, I don't know why I didn't do it, but I didn't make any tapes my freshman or sophomore year because I didn't believe that my tape was good enough, even though it was. I, I was really hard on myself and I wasn't really necessarily going to any camps because I didn't think I deserved to. And that's the biggest mistake I made. Then I got to my junior year, you know, I made a tape, you know, I tried to start going to camps and, you know, it was still getting kind of hard to get noticed. Then I went to the Nike Spark Combine and my score impressed everyone. You know, I had top five score in the in uh, Ohio and I had the top 100 score in all of the U.S. So at that point, that's when my career started to take off. You know, offers started coming in and it really, you know, really changed my perspective of things. That's when the recruiting process got a bit easier. I had a lot of choose to, uh, schools to choose from, FBS, FCS, Ivy League, military academies, like it, it was, it was definitely something that was going to be uh, really difficult, but I'm glad, you know, I ended up where I did. Daryl Reynolds and his brother were dedicated to becoming better basketball players. Daryl's story of dedicating an entire summer to getting in shape for the season is what led to not only high school success for Daryl, but eventually a career with the Villanova Wildcats. Me and my brother were just like, listen, we, we, we want to play at the highest level. 
we have, we have made up our minds on that. And the summer going into his junior year, my senior year, we had just decided, like, listen, no AAU, but not playing AAU seriously. We're just going to work. And just that summer, we just grinded. Like, we ate weights. You know what I mean? Like, we lifted, like, all the time. We worked out every single day. We rode our bikes. We get off. We were, we were rigorous about stretching again. We just had we just had put our heads down and was like, listen, we're going, we want the highest level, we want to play at the highest level after high school and we wanted to win a state championship while we were there. So we just like we just put our heads down and just worked and just grinded that summer. And then my senior year, his junior year, we get back to school and it was just like, and it wasn't just us, it was our entire team. So like when I say we, I mean like it was me and him because we lived together, that's my brother, but like all of our teammates were on the same type of time. One of my teammates, BJ Johnson, he's played for the Orlando Magic. He played for the New York Knicks at this point. He's overseas now, but like he played the G League for some years. He went to Syracuse right out of Lawrence. And then he went to transfer to LaSalle. And he was another guy, like he was such a hard worker, probably one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in my life. So it was this, this healthy competition between everybody of like, ain't none of us getting outworked by the next person. And we damn sure not about to get outworked by another team. So when we showed up, my senior year, his junior year, BJ's junior year for that season, you know, me, Yohani, BJ, Naheem, oh my God, I'm sorry, I love my guy. Um, oh, of course. He just showed up as a mob. And as the team did better, I did better. You know what I mean? It was less stress off of me. Guys were better on their skill set, so I could focus on me. And it was, it's, that was kind of my first lesson. And if the team is doing good, you're going to do good. Um, because all of us were just getting better. And every being better helped everybody else look that much better. Reese Forbes didn't become a legendary skateboarder, shoe design icon, and obsession advisor overnight. He spent countless hours in his craft, and the biggest sign for Reese that his craft was his obsession was the fact that he didn't even realize he was logging thousands of hours doing what he loved. What kind of hours and dedication did it take for you to get to a level where you feel like you were comfortable and really good at skateboarding? Well, many hours. I mean, I spent a lot of hours skating because it's what I love to do. Um, and I didn't really, obviously, when you're in something that you love to do, you're not aware that you're logging. You're aware that you're logging time doing it, but you're not aware that you're logging time doing it for, for uh, you know, a, a purpose that's going to, you know, be apparent later. So I didn't, I was young and I was like, I love skateboarding. I want to do it all the time. And that's what I'm going to do. So, I mean, I was, I was a sun up, sun down kid. I would go out and skate. I would start skating in the morning and then I would come home after dark and I would be on my board all day long. So that's how, that's how obsessed I was with skateboarding. You know, like early on it, it was like we would break, break into the schools and skate down the hallways. And um, like, we just did it everywhere, kind of did it everywhere and did it on everything. So um yeah, that was that was early on. And uh, so what kind of hours? I mean, like thousands and thousands and thousands of hours doing it. So I, what happened with me is I grew up in this town called uh, was it Germantown in, in Gaithersburg. So I skated around there primarily in the early part of my like, you know, right when I got that skateboard that I was mentioning and then a little bit after that. And then after a little while, um, I met some kids that skated and we all grouped up and we were like a little posse that skated. And then I met somebody that was just as infatuated with trying to improve his skill, uh, my friend Dickie. And he was just super into skating, into punk rock, into 
music um in the bmx and um we you know i was like this 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 guy's like really into it so we became friends and then he's the guy that took me for the first time down to downtown dc which was like marble and you know there were like other there was like other stuff to skate like gaps and you know just it you know it kind of brought my horizons broadened once i met him and saw that there was kind of a new there was like a new world out there that wasn't just in my town Dr. Joanna Stark's love for sports was inspired by the greatness that surrounded her when she was young. I mean, how could you not go on to have a career in sports after being inspired by Michael Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to be a Tar Heel and not be a sports fanatic. I think it did. Honestly, we had, uh, I had season tickets, my family did, to the Carolina basketball games growing up with Dean Smith. And in fact, that was when I was there, Michael Jordan was playing, as was James Worthy, Sam Perkins, and all of those iconic basketball players. And and it, watching them, I mean, the what I learned by watching Tar Heel basketball and Dean Smith is that it's never over till it's over. You always saw, that, saw those teams come back better in the second half, and they always, always, always played as a team. And that that really stuck with me. There was no ego if you still watch the Carolina players today, they still point at the people that, you know, made the assist or the pass. And that was, that's a Dean Smith legacy. It's, it's always acknowledge your teammates, always walk in their shoes. I think that stuck with me. And I also had the good fortune of, I was a swimmer growing up and I got to train with the University of North Carolina swimmers in the summer because my coach was also the college coach. And I swam with Olympians. I swam with uh, Janice Hape. I swam with Sue Walsh, Cami Brizzy, and just training in the pool with them. I was 12 and they were in college was just, you learn from watching greatness. And so, yes, I think Chapel Hill did form my obsession with athletics for sure. Inspiration comes in many ways, shapes, and forms. Whether it's watching a legendary player when you're younger dedicating yourself to becoming better, or refusing to bow down to a debilitating injury, you have to find your inspiration and run with it. If you're looking to be inspired, book an experience with an obsessed athlete today. 